everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers who sit around, drink, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's peanut gallery are John Schmidt and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 79, The Brains of Sage and Savant. Welcome, Chip and Eddie Clark. We're so glad to have you. <laughs> Hi, Jeannie. We're happy to be here. John, nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, these two have a connection. John and did the uh, local S- SteamCon events, this uh, Clockwork Alchemy. So you guys there are all that person there. Yeah. It, you, Jeannie, you've actually been in the same room with them. Probably. Uh, dancing, but... We're here. I, I have one question that I have to ask. It's a burning question. Are we going to talk about the pinky of Sage and Savant as well? Okay. <laughs> there was no pinky. The brain did him in. <laughs> yeah, clearly. For those of you that are not uh, on the where, you have to go out right away and look up Sage and Savant. It's a steampunk time travel audio drama podcast. And they've got four full seasons worth of life death, philosophy, the nature of consciousness, and it's great stuff. (laughs) And Eddie, you write most of the uh, scripts, correct? Um, I wrote all of them, actually. This was was my chance to write a female mad scientist who did not begin as an evil person. Most times women are allowed to do mad science in comics or in the movies or in books. They begin as already evil at the top. And um, men don't have to do that. Dr. Frankenstein wasn't an evil doctor. He was just an overly obsessed doctor. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, Dr. I mean, Dr. Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll was actually, he was trying to find the good in humanity. He right. unleashed the bad. But- just went terribly, and, terribly wrong. And once upon a time, a writing teacher told me, if you can't find the book of your heart, you have to write it yourself. So Sage and Savant was my chance to do that to write a female scientist who just got a little too obsessed with what she was trying to produce. What was her original goal? When you sketch us the character of Dr. Sage. So Petronella uh, Petronella Sage was very determined to um, create nerve connections for men that had lost their limbs in war. From um, really from the early 1700s onwards, for about 250 years, the number one thing that happened to men in war was that they would lose limbs, arms and legs. They'd be horribly maimed. And that made them, unfortunately, unable to survive effectively in society at home. Let's talk about the history. The history, the, the, the episode starts in 1894. 92. 1892. Yeah. <laughs> H, okay, 1890s. Anyway, uh, and... Uh, England is is really in its second just been or yeah its second world war and at this point in time there are a lot of people there are a lot of men who are um, who have come back and have been maimed and and this was a real burden it was a it was certainly a topic that had you been in Victorian England it was certainly a topic that people would have talked about all from from the very rich to the very poor so it was something that everyone was involved in. Um, and, and so the first doctor to speculate that the nerves transmitted, uh, information via electricity, um, his paper came out in 1870 something and it was poo-pooed. It was laughed. Everyone just laughed at it and went, it isn't possible. And especially because 
the galvanization studies of the earlier time, which is where Frankenstein is set, had ended up with a lot of electrocuted patients and, and no successful. <laughs> um, and so they, they laughed at this idea. And we didn't come back to nerves being electrical until almost 1926. So steampunk gives us that wonderful chance to switch history around a little bit. And so I imagined a world where, yes, we knew that nerves were electrical, and there was this quest to figure out how to reconnect nerves the same way we could reconnect electrical wires by that time. Perfect so, early nephropathy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, frank, frankly, galvanization is just cool. I mean, you can <laughs> One of the things that's interesting is, I mean, that's that's her premise. That, that's what she's starting off in the very first episode. What she discovers, however, is that in the process, she's electrocuted. And in electrocuting herself, she rips her conscious mind from her body and sends it into the ether, which then, because it needs a host, it finds another body that's been recently deceased and re and reanimates it, it basically. The problem is it doesn't reanimate it in the current time frame. It reanimates it in the past or in the future, depending upon things. And there's more in the story that, that deals with that. But but so it's the thing is, is that it becomes time travel by virtue of the consciousness. And you think, oh, well, that's where the science fiction comes in, except for the fact that we were reading, Eddie was reading a lot more than I was, but Eddie was reading at the time a whole lot of quantum articles which are going, okay, well, we've got quantum entangled objects and we've got quantum entangled objects across time and we're not really sure whether the thoughts actually live in the brain. We know memories can be called in the brain, but they're beginning to think now, there's a, there's a fair number of, of, of people who are thinking that, that the brain is more of a... Climate. Yes, a climate that allows thoughts to exist. It becomes a quantum percolator, if you will. And if that's the case, then the thoughts are outside of the brain and are the thoughts are part of that, okay, can they be moved to another brain? And if they can be moved to another brain, what does that mean? So Eddie did a whole lot of research on how long is a brain viable after a person <laughs> is dead and, and when can a body reanimate and what are the ways we can die and you know, and I'm sure I'm on the FBI yeah. watch list. <laughs> Just, oh, uh, oh honey, we have so many. <laughs> so many authors are, yes, because of the things we Google. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question, because when people think of science fiction, often they think of something present or future, like Mary Shelley, when she was writing Frankenstein, that was it, it yeah. was current for her. But this is set in the path and yet is still to a certain extent a science fiction. Of its own time. Well, especially as we went on, um, and I and Chip's right, I did a huge amount of reading on neuroscience and the cutting edge. And there is a doctor in Japan who has used stroke patients to um, test some things. And he's the one who came up with this theory that the brain doesn't hold our memories. The brain is just the climate for memories because he can stimulate a different part of the brain to have the same sort of uh, synapse firing that the memory center normally has and stroke patients get their memories back. <gasps> oh, that is and so cool. Isn't that so exciting? <laughs> and so that happened. Um, the, the first uh, of his experiments that proved that happened the first year I was writing this and I just ran with it. Can I get uh, that? Because every how exciting. Every, I, I need this treatment every Monday morning. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not exactly. kidding. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, imagine how it's going to help everyone, not just stroke patients who completely lost their memories, but just all of us as, as our memory begins to fail, if we can stimulate our brains a little more and get it all back. This is, oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's wow. the, there's the, 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 the science fact that was behind it. There's the science fiction that was behind it. But the quant, what we know about quantum now was was wrapped into the story, even though it's not what they thought at the time. And so that was it's it, it became one of those things. And, it, it, you know, it, it's said in the 1890s, but the audience is now. And so right. we're writing for a modern audience or writing for an audience that or she was writing for an audience that is like this is what people think now. So we don't want to say things that were appropriate in a Victorian period because they would seem out of time here. And, and yet we wanted to push some boundaries. There are some other boundaries that we, that, that we, that we push or pushing all of the time. Petronella Sage is far too outspoken and direct um, that a, a woman at that time just wouldn't have been allowed to get away with what she right. gets away with. Right. And that's part of it. But I'm not writing for Victorian men to be comfortable. I'm writing for a young girl who might be considering going into science and not sure if it's for her. And I wanted her to see that very specific sort of feminine energy of um, discovery and of uh, uh, exploration. And I think that that's a very important thing as a writer. You must love, I love the, the Hidden Figures book, too, then, because, again, it's uh, like yes. math is cool. Math is delicious. <laughs> math can land you on the moon. Yes. Sorry, um, Hidden Figures. And then if you haven't read Mary Robinette Qualls Lady Astronaut series. Oh, yes. Um, her trilogy series is exactly that. It kind of takes off of that and takes us all the way to Mars. It's brilliant stuff. <laughs> and so how long does it take you to each episode? Do you, are, are they all a certain length? Tell us a little bit about the mechanics. They settle to be about 40 minutes in length each, although there is some variation on that. Um, and it took me a while to teach myself this um, skill of screenwriting, which is a little bit different than writing a book. Um, with books, you can automatically assume that a certain number of pages is going to work out to be a good chapter length, that a certain number of words fits a good chapter length. The problem with audio or with film um, is that you're adding in a visual or a sound element. And those elements take no time at all to write out on the page and can take minutes to explore orally. So, for example... Um, sounds of a camel. <laughs> awesome. Sounds of a camel. How do I get sounds of a camel? And how do you relate sounds of a camel in a way that the audience goes, oh... That's a camel. Oh, that's a camel. <laughs> Chip, because, did you do all the Foley work for it then? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. We had some really fun cast meetings uh, where we did read-throughs, and they got their direction, and then we would do Foley. And one of my favorites, there's a shipwreck at the end of the first season, um, and uh, it's based on a historical shipwreck that there's a very, very famous painting of. But we needed multiple, yeah, we needed multiple um, bodies hitting the water. So it was summer, and we all dressed in our swimsuits and went down to the pool in my hotel, in my apartment complex. And one of us held the boom mic out while the others of us threw ourselves into the pool in a variety <laughs> of different postures 
to get the Foley for the different types of body into the water sounds that Chip needed. Now, what's interesting about this is, and, and speaking about a podcast, and we're talking about the mechanics a little bit now, one of the things that you want to do with, with a podcast is it's, it's one thing to have your podcast out there, but you also want to talk about it on other, on other media. You want to have some YouTube videos. You want to have some tweets about it and that kind of stuff. Well, we videoed the process and put the video up there of going, yeah, we're doing sound effects. In another episode, we used the pool because it had an outdoor shower and there was a scene where an actress was in the shower singing. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, you're going to be singing and you're going to sing in the shower. The nice thing about it is, is because it had, it was an outdoor shower. It had lots of tower and it was, uh, lots tiles of tile. and it was an open space. So it was like, okay, we've got this really wonderful open space thing that we'll get some good sound out of. And she's like, great. You're going to video me singing <laughs> in, an, uh, in, in, in a, a public, public shower. shower. <laughs> okay. This is, yeah. But, and again, both of those videos are up on our YouTube channel where we don't have the episodes up there, but we do have lots of little tidbits that are like, okay, this is, this is the process that we went through in making it. So you'll, you can see us being thrown in the pool, uh, singing in the shower, among other things. Well, so if I figure it's if for an hour's worth of episode or even half an hour's worth of conversation, because I know you guys put music in it too. So is yeah. it like maybe 10 pages of talk? So 10 pages and then how much production time does it take you end to end? So like if you hand off and chip, if you're handling production, tell us about rough length of time it does to do a single episode. Okay. The rule of thumb for writing is that one minute of screenplay is one minute of film time. What we discovered in sound for doing podcast, it is a little bit lower than that. So generally my scripts would run 30 to 32 pages and then chip would would get a 40 to 45 minute episode out of that the difference being is is there's you you tend to add more sound and and once you've done a story you you have a very different view when you're watching a film you're going wow they're doing a whole lot of film they're just they're they're eating up time in the story they're not saying anything. The music is playing. And there's all these but sound the effects or, or the, the, the or things that you can't do in audio. You can do them somewhat, but you've got to be very careful because what things sound like if you don't have someone saying you hear a door and then somebody go, oh, who's who who just came in or, or, you know, with a, and somebody says, well, I'm done and I'm leaving and you hear the door slam. Th- those are things you go, oh, I, I know what that sound is, but just random out of the middle, the sound work has to be exceptional. Oh, and so I, how many hours would he spend? What, oh, goodness. 10, okay. A, it takes 10 <laughs> hours. I, I, it was generally 10 hours worth of work from the point of we have we are done recording. And that the process real quick was we would get together online. We would read the script. Um, Originally, we were all in the same place, but people moved away. So we were online. So we did online. We would read the script once. We might read it a second time through. And then we would record what I would consider to be a, a draft copy of it. I would then parse out the pieces for the draft and say, okay, here's your dialogue Here's your pe- here's where your dialogue is minus your dialogue. So, so in the- other words, each actor had a recording that they could work with while they were recording their lines so they could hear the other characters deliver. Very, very few audio dramas do that. We like it because we like stage work and we like having someone to play with. One of the people who is in our cast was also a stage pers- person, and they're like, yeah, I really prefer 
to have the voices to play with. Sometimes the voice, the timing is a little bit off because I'd be, I'd say things a little slower in the actual recording process. But anyway, so that's, that's one. Once I'm done with that, then it's about 10 hours worth of work to get the recordings in, to lay them in, to put the sound effects in and get all of that done. And then once I have that whole piece done, season three and season four um, are completely, there's a soundtrack throughout. So there's 30, 35 minutes worth of music in each episode. And which Um, of you wrote the music for it? Chip. I did. Uh, I wrote it all. I'm going to say, I really like some of your music there, Chip, because I've, Enjoyed going out and reading. I remember when you were searching out, you sent a note out on Twitter last year sometime saying, hey, send in interesting songs. What do you think of? And I just love some of the stuff you came up with. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love his music, too. (laughs) I want to give you one other compliment as somebody who's listened to a few of them. I like Wolf 359, and I listen to it. Mm -hmm. But I listen to it with my husband, and he has... Um, ear, he, he has hearing aids in both ears. And Wolf 359 has so loud foley and so loud sound effects that sometimes my husband can't hear the voices. We can yeah. always hear your voices. So I really like your mixing levels. And I know that's an obscure oh. phrase, but that was, that, well was, that was paramount. <laughs> and kind of, I mean, Gina, if we're going to talk and get, get onto a weird side note, that was one of the things that on. I'm listening very intently when I'm when I'm I'm mixing it and I'm I'm putting the sounds in and, and that my it was paramount that the voices be heard. So it's kind of like music. If if you have an instrument that's playing the melody, you might have other instruments playing behind it, but you want those other instruments just that behind it. So in an audio drama, the voices are the thing. So all of the sound effects, they might come louder when there's no one talking, but they have to come down in that. There are a lot thing- of sound effects that were not heard that you really don't hear in the audio, but... Unless you're listening at home on a good stereo system. But the point is, the other thing we did is that we would always test the episode in our own car. Well, Um, that's fantastic. (laughs) Because we learned that so many of our our fans were listening on their commute, we went out and we'd put it in in the car and we'd drive and and, and listen while we were driving on the highway. (laughs) <laughs> Listening to it on my speakers and my on my stereo, home stereo system versus in the headphones versus on a phone with headphones versus in your car. They're, all of those audio experiences are very different. So the music is then, uh, again, quickly, it was another 10 hours. So consider, yeah, there was about 20 hours worth of work from the point of like, oh, we've got the episode done to now the episode is ready to launch. Now, that being said, um, to your listeners who might just be beginning, Chip and I are gluttons for punishment. Um, we, we always set ourselves incredibly stupidly high bars and then strive to, to, to reach them and stress out. Um, I will does- say a lot of sound engineers that I've talked to in the last couple of years, two or three years have gone, wow, you really do a lot more than you have to do. You, I mean, you, but if somebody you're, wanted to start a podcast or they wanted to start a fiction um, audio of any sort, my advice would be to choose a subject with limited scope of um, setting. So, for example, uh, there's a really great one that takes place all 100% inside a library. Um, there's a great one that it's uh, a one girl on a spaceship. Um, there's, when you have a contained um, 
setting like that, then you restrict the number of hours that you have to spend on your sound. One of the problems was that my crazy big idea of the consciousness time travel anywhere um, in time meant that Chip went from, you know, one week having to do a um, zoo in Constantinople to the next having to be in the court of Catherine the Great in Russia. And those are entirely, completely different soundscapes. <laughs> so, and sometimes we're going to historical periods. Both of those, you mentioned two historical periods. Sometimes we're going 4,000 years in the future. And what does the store door sound, sound like? like? <laughs> you know. So um, that we, we gave ourselves a very large task. But and, and and you must have just the biggest little sound library at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually, I, I, oddly enough, yeah, I've got a I've got a whole drive that that is that is kind of set aside to do that. Um, I mean, just a lot a lot that you can find online, and people are always willing to help, which is which is lovely. I think the other thing to say to it is again, kind of in the technical side, I did panning so when a person is walking into the room there you hear their voice panning through the room so it's more of a cinematic effect you, you talked about wolf 359 wolf 359 does a lot yes of that yeah, um, but i will also say wolf 359 the sound engineers and the people on that are professionals i mean they are they they are in the industry it's what they oh, get yeah. paid to it's do it's what they went to university for right. it's yeah. um, you know they're, <laughs> and, and and i'm not faulting that i'm not saying oh well you know uh, you know neener, no no neener. they're just they're not just at all. too loud it, when it, they have characters whispering yeah. it, it's it's the kind of thing of going we wanted to be at that level without and in the start without having the knowledge to, to, to know really what it was taking, but the determination to say, we're going to do this. I mean, Eddie's comment, and when she started writing this, is like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to learn to write it. And the first script that she had was like, I took oh, a, that's I took a, a class lot in longer university than- on screenwriting. And so I knew how to basically format a script and how to write in the slug lines for audio and all of that. Um, but I didn't really understand the difference between film and audio. And I certainly didn't understand enough of how to structure a show or build that. We, we learned that all along the way. And we didn't know, so, okay, well, we're going to do a story and the story sounds really cool. I mean, I, I'm still very much in love with the story, but then every week, every month would come by and I go, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Again, I go with the camels, uh, camels. Why, 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 she says, read the story. It's funny. I'm like, yeah, but camels, <laughs> I've got to find camels, a monkey. I had to find, it's, well, yes, but spider monkeys don't monkey. sound that way. I'm like, it's, I had to find a <laughs> monkey sound. So were you, did you start off pantsing it or were you a little bit of a plotter or what kind of combination are you? When I started writing, I was a pantser 100% of the way. Um, I have tried being a plotter, and that doesn't work for me. If I get too detailed in plotting things out, then I don't write it because I, I know the story. It's already done. <laughs> um, so what I've had to do and what I ended up, and, and Sage and Savant really taught me how to do this, was um, to plot certain tent poles that would hold the stor- whole story up. And so I would know that I'm starting at point A, and I need to get to point B. And I have five dialogue pages to get there. 
And then I would just pants in between. But all of that that I was making up as I went was with, with, with a focused goal of where I was going. And um, so for each script, I would generally have um, somewhere between, in the really complicated scripts, maybe six tent poles like that to work through. In the easier ones, um, one of the easiest ones only had three. Um, but that then, you know, and it, it, the funny thing is it doesn't matter. Like some of the ones that I think were very, very complicated, the, the episode itself is really quite simple. So the Haunted House episode, which is our October episode in our third season, um, is was a blast to write. But I was following kind of the old gothic um, films of haunted mansions and trying to follow their structure, which meant that I had more tent poles of what I wanted to hit, where the scares would come and where the reveals would come. Um, I had more points in there. But then um, when we went to Constantinople to see um, the Emperor Constantine in the zoo, I only had two through that whole script. And everything else was just make it up as I go along. So I'm a hybrid all the way that way. Yep. I would say in the, the one in the whole show started very pants like in, in the fact that, hey, let's do a podcast. Sure. What a, what the heck? What's the story? What's the story? Great. Let's go. Um, by the time we were done with season one, she knew. Well, I'd say by the time we were halfway through season one, she knew how she wanted to ease and see in season one and where she was going with the show. By the time we were into season two, she knew we were a four season show and she's like, this is where the season's going to go. And I'm, I'm putting all this out there for the listeners who want to listen to our show. The first two or three episodes are, are a little little different in flavor (laughs) than the things, but, but bear with us. Once you get into, once you get into episode four or five, and you don't want to start with episode four or five. You kind of got to start with a one. It's a straight, straight show. It's all connected. So you have to kind of start with the first episode. But the thing is that, yeah, I learned where I was going and realized that, you know, there's that term jumping the shark, which comes from Happy Days, where um, uh, they had Fonzie jump on the shark when they were all at the seashore. And it's because they'd run out of things to do. And this is something that um, a lot of writers in Hollywood talk about is never wanting to jump the shark. And the way you keep from jumping the shark is to have a definitive end in mind for your show. And now that's added a second layer, which is to have a definitive end. But what if that isn't the end? And that's the supernatural effect. Um, And that's why on Supernatural, of course, the characters died and died and died and died and died and never died. Um, because they found a way around their planned ending, but they still had planned endings, and you can see them at the end of each of their major arcs. Whereas if that was the last show of the entire show, it would have been an ending. So that was the thing I was aiming for, was to have a show that ended and ended definitively and while I was still loving writing the character. Uh, I was I, I was think, writing that different than you also wrote some science fiction Victorian science fiction novels. Is it just a novelization of Sage and Savant or is it a completely different or parallel or tell tell me about so it. So my my published novel um, is the it is a novelization of 
the first season is Agents of Aunt, and there's actually three more books coming in that series that will roughly follow the four seasons, but each book gets further and further from the podcast itself and more into the stuff that happened um, outside and around the activities of the podcast. The, po- the and- narrator is a character. And, and the narrator, it's not just a voice yeah, he in the became background a saying, you know. And so in the book, we're seeing him as the historian who's researching Sage and Savant. And so we see Sage and Savant as his researches. And then as book two is even more into his world and um, things that happen for Sage and Savant that aren't in the podcast itself, but happened around. And um, book three and four... I do bring them all back together at the end of book four because, um, I, I, again, I wanted that ending to have it all mash up. And by the time it's done, the books should add to the podcast and the podcast should add to the books. But you could do either standalone cool. and they'll work that way. Cool. And it's so- been a lot of plotting. <laughs> it's been a lot of puzzle piecing, figuring out how, how things fit together and time. Oh, time travel's hard. Do you use any particular tools? Like uh, we have a friend that swears by Scrivener. Raymond says, Scrivener, best tool in the whole wide world, keeps track of everything. Do you have any tools or techniques? Is a lot of it in your head? Is it just you have old A scripts? lot of people, a lot of friends I have use Scrivener too. I tried it and I got lost in playing with it rather than writing. So I've gone back to just writing straight in Word, but there are two tools I use automatically whenever I start a, um, a new manuscript. And the first is that I set styles. So I have a chapter heading style, a uh, scene break, and a scene heading style, and then it, a standard paragraph style. And by doing that, by using the styles to do things, then you have a navigation bar and you can navigate to each of those scenes by the first sentence that's the, the thing or by the title that's the chapter. The other thing I do is I use the comments function and I put my research and my questions and the things I need to refer back to in my comments. So, for example, the book I'm writing right now um, is a, a actual historical story set in 1942 and the woman I'm writing about had six children only two of her children really appear in scenes in the book the other children only get mentioned or talked about so I didn't get all the names memorized effectively but I have a comment kids names in order of appearance. And so then if I forget, if I'm writing a scene where I have to, she's mentioning the baby and I can't remember the baby's name, I just do a quick control F through comments, kids' names. And it pops me right to that comment. I can see the name and then close it out and it'll take me right back into my document to work. So those two things have worked very effectively for me. You're the first person who's mentioned using comments like that. I think that's neat. I like I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, really handy. it really works. It's also like I, I in comments, I'll put a link if there's something on the Internet that I researched that I need. To, oh, that's relating. I'll put a link in the comments and then I just write my own title for it right. so that when I'm doing the search, I can find it. Um, but that has helped me a huge amount. And all you have to do to clean those out when you're done um, writing the document. I also at the end, before I send the document to my editor, I'll save the final version and title it author's version. (laughs) And then 
I get their version and I just resolve all those comments and delete them all out of the document. So then they have the document where they can add their comments for editing and whatever. I have the, the original with the research in it if I need it for something. Cool. Okay, I'm going to turn the, the, the spotlight on Chip. You told me that you had just finished your first novel. Did you use and, for tricks? How did you do yours? Um, yeah, huh. um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a horrible geek. I'm a software programmer as a, as a day job. So um, instead of comments, I have a linked document. So I have three Word, well, two Word documents uh, and an Excel spreadsheet now um, in the document. So when I started, I had my, my opening document with things. And every time I got it, okay, this is information I need to know, but I'm not, I know that I'm not going to retain it, i.e. names. I'm horrible at people's names. So this is this character's name. I then have another document that is attached to or embedded in. And so whenever I need to, to look at that other document, I need to find somebody's name, I can always refer back to it. But I also add to it and go, oh, I've added a description about this person. So what do I What color is their hair? What color are their eyes? All these kind of things. So that's in that secondary document. This particular story, um, it's steampunk in nature. It started out as a short story, uh, steampunk style as an airship captain. Um, it is ended up being set in 1934. So technically, I guess you would say it's diesel punk. Um, diesel punk, yeah. However... I really, really, really like history, so it is filled with lots of actual history. So as you're reading it, it, it reads more like a historical fiction, although there is some fantastical, as in England didn't have a lot of airships and Spain didn't attack England via airships, but that's 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 kind of yes it's part of the book but it's 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 in the book more to talk about the characters and and what the characters are going through um the i definitely used titles and chapters and 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 things like that because that that you're right it is right it's very important to be able to go oh this is how it's going now i also said that i have a spreadsheet Again, being really geeky, I wanted to make sure that I had the ebbs and flows of the, the, the chapters as we're going through. So each chapter I have a word count and then I have a spreadsheet that goes that, that monitors that, that, that goes through the flow. So I can see the arc of the story as it is in words per chapter. So I can say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I run roughly 2000 words per chapter, a little bit more. Um, and I can have, oh, well, this chapter's only had 13,000 words. Okay. Is that, is that really a chapter? Is that, did, did I end it too soon? Do I need to add more to that things? And it gave me a, a, a great way to look back and go, oh, I definitely need to flesh this out. Now, the novel's the first draft. <laughs> it's definitely first draft stage. And I shouldn't have done a lot of what I did in that first draft stage. Um, but I was far too um ocd to to leave to to not so terry pratchett told us all that your first draft is you telling the story to yourself anyway so yes so you know your story now so i I do and there were a lot of times i think that uh, some of the edits that happened in the book were as i got to know the stories and i got to know the characters and i got to go oh this is where the stories go this is this is what this person needs to say well, I need to go back 
because they said something earlier that would be a little incongruous to what it is now and and what what it is now is a little is a little better so i'm fixing some of that stuff but when I say it's the first chapter, I've, I I do the Nano, National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, mm-hmm. uh, every year. At least I was. I didn't do it this year. but um, And in that process, I've written 90,000 words before, but it wasn't a complete story. It didn't, you know, it was like writing and writing and writing. It's like, okay, I've got, I know where it needs to go, but I probably got another 20,000 words and I would never get that done. Are we there yet? Yeah. Um, yeah. And this one, I was there. I, this one, I went, you know what? I really want to get this one all the way done. I, I, I want to get this story done. Um, we had a number of, of fans on our Patreon for Sage and Savant, and, and they all got a copy. Uh, I mean, that was that was my motive. That was part of my motivation to make sure that I got it done, because I said in August, I said, OK, for all of our Patreon fans, if you're you know, you're, you're I was putting the chapters up once a week so they would get a new chapter every week. I said, if you're enjoying this story, you know, know that when you become a Patreon things that I when I get the book done, I will send you a PDF copy of the book. Um, and so they all got a copy of the book. Um, where it stands now, um, Eddie will, will go through and, and edit it, and he'll have, I'm sure, lots of little bits that need to get fixed and changed. Now um, he's in the nervous. It's all out to beta readers. So yeah, oh, but that's, yeah, that's a beautiful thing because they're going to tell you horrible things, and they'll you'll get pages and pages of edits, and you'll go cry and ignore them for a couple months because you know edits are hard. <laughs> There's. <laughs> we only had one person came on and said, I just love doing edits and everybody else says she's crazy. So that's actually one other thing that I do that might be different. I've never, I've never seen anyone else do edits the way I do edits. How do you do edits? Um, I use colored tape flags and I will assign a meaning to each color. So for example, uh, character, dialogue, setting, language, um, punctuation, uh, and by setting those, and it, it, of course, what I'm depending on depends on what type of knowledge it, or what type of, of book it is. So um, a plot is one that I often use too. And then I'll read the book. After I've finished, I print it out and I read it and I'm not allowed to make any notes. All I can do is put a tape flag and underline the part that's a problem on the page and just keep going. And I have to just keep reading and I'm not allowed to stop and think about any problem until I'm all the way done. And then I hold it up and look at the end and whichever color has the most tape flags, that's the one I conquer first. (laughs) Because what I have found in editing is that if you fix that one that is your biggest problem, nine times out of 10, the other things kind of fall in line and are fixed too. Because there's that thing in the back of our head that knows that something is wrong and we often try to write past it. You know, we'll often try and write circles around it. So I've had situations where I had a plot point that was wrong, for example, move the plot point into the correct place. And suddenly the three scenes I'd written trying to explain why the plot point happened where I thought it happened didn't need to be written because it didn't happen there. It happened over here, that sort of thing. And then it helps you pull your document into a more cohesive form and then get the rest of it. And I just, I do that. And it works really, really well for me as a focusing tool, if nothing else. I I think that's a neat idea. And that's definitely a different way. I haven't heard anybody say that. So thanks. That's extremely cool. (laughs) Can I I interrupt for a second? It's a side note on Patreon. What, um, 
How would I find you? Because Sage and the Savant is not bringing up anything on Patreon. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. We just closed it. <laughs> yeah, we just... Oh, it, it was, oh, man. It was on the idea of... The, the show ended in, in May. Our last episode was in the middle... The ended in, in the, the first in the middle of May was the, the final posting of the episode. And we went six months and we went, gosh, fans, we love you. We, we're, we're so glad that you're out there supporting us and, and whatever. But we can't honestly continue to have you paying us money because we know we're not providing any more content here. And, and, and so that was a, that was a moral dilemma. That was a, that was a, I mean, October, October and and November and December, I went guys, if you're writing the novels though, though, they are still supporting your creative endeavor of professor Sage. So they are. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we have to face, Chip and I as a creative couple, and in case there's other creative couples out there, one of the things we have to face is how to pool and um, create effective online presence for our audience. Um, So one of the reasons for letting the, the Patreon for Sage and Savant go is we're going to set up one that is specifically about the two of us as creators. And then it has basically different silos for our different projects. And that will allow us to speak to our audience in a way that isn't exhausting because we're not having to go to six different websites because we do so crazy much. Um, But we can keep it focused and do that. And so, and there's always new fans. That's one of the lovely things about audios. There's always new fans that come along and discover you long after your past. I'm sure you guys find that people come and they listen to one of your episodes that's now and then they go, oh, I'm interested. And they go back and listen to your backlog. And that's something that is wonderful about the audio world um, it is. it's it kind of makes you eternal and we so will, yeah yeah and say i would like to put links to the new patreon when you have it we will throw it up and i'll put links to your podcast and and we definitely the, still have the, the sage and savant the website. website the website yeah. is up there and the podcast is 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 up there but we're we're we're, we're dedicated to keeping that as long as as long as people are still listening so <laughs> Yeah, that's well, hopefully you'll get a few new people that are like, hey, a brand new story and I've never heard it. So I encourage you. The all book to is the book fun. is available and, and product is available on sageandsamont.com. We do have a store where you can get this stuff. And, and if you buy the book from our store, we Eddie signs it. So ooh, you get a personal copy. I am putting links that. to that store and all of this on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Twitter and email. Um, Chip and Eddie, if people want to ask you questions via email, can we count on you to respond to them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Our emails are easy. It's just our first name and then at sageandsavant.com. So Eddie at sageandsavant.com will reach me. At sageandsavant.com. I will put those in the liner notes. And absolutely. And I am happy. I'm also a part of the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, which is mostly playwrights and film writers, but they are beginning to organize for audio writers. And um, so if you're interested in audio, I have a lot of contacts through there to help out. I'm happy to answer writing questions or show examples of my manuscript or anything like that. Um, because I had a lot of help myself. A lot of people have been very, very generous with me all through my writing career, and I really believe in paying it forward. So, And uh, as a composer, you know, always 
it willing to talk to people out there as a sound engineer got questions yeah happy to help i hear you thank you so much for joining us today Oh, Jeannie, this has been wonderful. It's Thank been you. wonderful speaking with and you. And John, lovely. <laughs> it's a delight. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Eternally Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag on our website. And our love is forever given to the Bean Scene Coffee Shop in downtown Sunnyvale. And hey, thanks so much for listening. 